further ado, oh boy, <clears throat> uh, thank you for making that adjustment. I <clears throat> um, don't ordinarily dress like uh, Johnny Cash, uh, and I'm not Johnny Cash or anything resembling Johnny Cash, and I'm not going gothic either. <laughs> Uh, this is the uniform that the director of this program I'm in this afternoon told us to dress. So that's the reason I didn't have time to change clothes. But if I leave here right after my sermon and I drive the speed limit to Lincoln, I'll get there just in time. So thank you for making this adjustment. And I apologize uh, <clears throat> for not being able to stay, stay around. I'd like to see the program here. Laura, are you the uh, CEO here of the program this morning? I think you are. Um, Merry Christmas. You're dressed up like a tree. I, that's, uh, that's impressive. <clears throat> it beats me on. <laughs> okay, well, down to business. The reason we're really here this morning has to do with the Word of God. And I've entitled this sermon, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb, and I'll, you'll know the reason here shortly. Mary had a little lamb, Christmas on the Isle of Patmos with John, the gospel writer. I had not realized until I put together um, this particular Christmas sermon of the many times that this Greek word appears in the <clears throat> birth, and creation, uh, birth narrative, the nativity narrative of our Lord, and that is this Greek word, edu. It is translated most of the time, behold. Sometimes it's translated lo, just L-O, and sometimes it isn't even translated. The translators don't even include it in the, uh, in the text. But it's one of the most important words in the narrative, and it's often overlooked, but I don't want us to overlook it. It's repeated six times in the Gospel of Matthew and eight times in the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> 14 times. I want, I want us to look at these um, because uh, the word itself is a word that says attention. Basically, it's saying look up, but we'll get to that in a moment. Behold, it occurs six times in the birth narrative of Matthew, eight times in Luke. <clears throat> the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, Luke one twenty. Behold, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe in my words, which I will which will come true at their appointed time, Zechariah. Angel Gabriel, behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Mary, behold, I am the Lord's servant. Again, Elizabeth to Mary, behold, when you came in and greeted me, my baby jumped with joy the instant I heard your voice. Mary sings the Magnificat. In the Gospel of Luke, behold, now generation after generation will call me blessed. Joseph's dream, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, telling him not to be afraid. The baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph's dream, behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. The angel to the shepherds, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all people everywhere, everyone. Joseph to Mary <clears throat> at the temple, behold, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he eagerly expected the Messiah uh, to come 
and rescue Israel. Behold, this child will be rejected by many, in Israel, Simeon says, and it will be to their undoing, but he will be the greatest joy to many others, us. Matthew, behold, some wise men from the east, eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, inquiring about the newborn king. How do they know where to go? Behold, the star appeared to them, guiding them to to Bethlehem. An angel in a dream to Joseph. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. He was to flee with Mary and the baby to Egypt because of the danger faced by the family. The same angel again. Behold, this time with the command to return to Israel because Herod is now dead. This word, this little word, adieu, behold, beckons us to cease looking down and around and to lift our eyes toward heaven because it's where God rules and from where he intervenes and from whence he saves. There is a theater in the heavens. There is a stage set up in the sky. So look up, behold. Now, the setting for the birth narratives, I think, is very interesting. There are several lessons, even in the Gospels, the Gospel narrative of the birth of Jesus. In Matthew, for example, we're given the lineage of Joseph as we're introduced to the Messiah. We're given the royal line through Joseph. We're introduced to the virgin birth. She was conceived of the Holy Spirit. We're introduced to the wise men, to King Herod and his treachery, and then the trip and the flight to Egypt. And Mark, Mark opens his gospel with an announcement, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Christ, he announces, he hasn't told you any reason yet to believe that Jesus is Messiah, but his gospel is going to support the claim that he makes in the very opening words of his gospel. But he begins um, with the story of John the Baptist. Peter is probably the source of Mark's information. Mark was not himself an apostle. Then comes Luke. Luke was not an apostle either. Much of his information is is, uh, gotten from Mary. It's uh, pretty easy to tell that as you read that gospel. There we're introduced to Mary, Elizabeth, Joseph, Zacharias, Simeon, the angels. Luke introduces us to the innkeeper, the shepherds, and four songs... Luke encompasses the birth of Jesus Christ with four different singers and their songs. I think a beautiful introduction. But then we come to John, the Gospel of John. John does not open his Gospel with a narrative of the birth of Jesus, anything like the other Gospels. He opens with words that seem almost esoteric. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Nothing about his birth other than the fact, you know, he was the creator, and he came here to be among us. Not until, not until you get over to the book of Revelation do you come to John's birth narrative. Now, I suspect that many of you here have missed this. It's there. It was there all the time. But you have to look hard in order to see it. 
but it's there. John gives it to us. Here is John's nativity narrative. Listen to this. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains. And I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. And there's our 14th. Behold, look up. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. John is on the Isle of Patmos, exiled here. And he becomes a hero in the story. The beloved apostle, he was the guardian given the charge from the cross of Jesus to look after his mother. Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son, said Jesus at the cross. And um, <clears throat> John is the gospel of love. The term agape, love, occurs 37 times in the gospel of Luke. Or excuse me, the gospel of John. Nine times in Matthew, five times in Mark, 11 times in Luke, but 37 times love in the Gospel of John. And then we come to the book of Revelation. In Revelation, I think love occurs only once, but in the book of Revelation, we have the word of hope. It's always hope. However dark the situation, however the calamity of experience on this earth, there's reason for hope. And John gives us that in the book of Revelation. But in his Christmas story, there are no shepherds, no sheep, no choirs of angels, no wise men, not even Joseph. Only a woman, a child, and a dragon. Her precious baby boy generates a cosmic war in the heavenly realm. I uh, put this together to describe my own personal marvel at the mystery of this story and what it is turned into. And I want to see if you can catch my reason why this is so um, striking. Jesus, born to a teenage peasant girl in a cave in a small and obscure town, Apprenticed as a carpenter, he never wrote a book, never traveled over a few miles from his home, never married, never had children, never owned a home or property, had a very brief three-year ministry. His only possession was a cloak that he wore, buried in a borrowed tomb, absent all the trappings of people who earn greatness. They're not there. Tried in six illegal trials, convicted without evidence of guilt, 
forsaken by his followers, denied by a friend, betrayed by the enemies of his close follower, his own nation, his own people turned against him, yet he unleashed a tide of influence whose impact has been greater than any army or navy or military ever assembled in the history of our world. How can you account for that from this lowly birth in an insignificant place? Such insignificance with enormous cosmic, earthly, and heavenly power. So John gives us no sentimental Christmas. It's no Thomas Kincaid Christmas for him. No quiet cottage in a wintry wonderland. No Santa Claus. No cozy fireplace. No chestnuts roasting by the open fire. If this were made, if John's account were made into a movie, it probably would be rated PG-13. Hallmark cards, can you imagine a Hallmark card with a dragon hovering over the nativity? You don't see that on Hallmark cards, but that's what John gives us. It was August 12th. Where did I put that? Have a time keeping everything together. Uh, August 12th, 1877. In Menlo Park, New Jersey, this young man, Thomas Edison, used a needle to scratch a soundtrack into a cylinder wrapped in tinfoil. And the first words that came off of that which came to be called a phonograph, and every time you hear a voice being played on any instrument today, stems back to that thing right there. But the first words he put on that cylinder were, Mary had a little lamb. Yes, there was a Mary who had a little lamb. John refers to Jesus as a child once. He refers to him as a lamb 28 times. In his book about the book of Revelation, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson, he entitled his book about Revelation, Reversed Thunder, an interesting title. About this description in Revelation, he writes these words. Revelation 11 sounds the, with the ear-splitting blast of the seventh trumpet. Wakening the world from its sleep in bed, 24 elders sing a song of victory. Then, lightning, thunder, earthquake, and hail introduce the next scene. A woman appears on the heavenly scene in a dress woven with rays of the sun, blazing, glimmering. Twelve stars pulsate white and red fire from her crown. She stands on the moon. She is pregnant. Her beauty rivets John's attention, and she collapses into the travail of childbirth. Some description. Several years ago, at the North American Christian Convention, I remember the preacher there. Uh, I identified with him because he said he 
uh, taught Bible survey to freshman college students. Well, I've had that experience. And he said, the first semester I taught it, I come to the book of Revelation and I think, oh my goodness, how am I going to help my class understand this difficult book of Revelation? For a couple of reasons. Once it's uh, eschatological literature, which means it really deals with the last days, whatever they're going to be like. And then he says it's apocalyptic, which means it's the kind of literary genre that summons all sorts of strange symbols and teaches a story in symbolic language. And how am I going to make it simple to understand? So he said, okay, class, I've had to do this, so I really understood what he was talking about. Uh, I'm going to give you something very important now. This is a summary of the book of Revelation in three simple points. I said, if you know college freshmen, you know they haven't moved a muscle. So you have to use these words, which I have used more than once. This will be on the final exam. It's very important, so write it down. The book of Revelation summarized. Point one, God's team wins. Point number two, pick a team. Point number three, don't be stupid. That's a very good summary of the book of Revelation, its message and its challenge for you and me. Well, we're given the elevated position of Mary in the story of John, particularly. Why wouldn't he give Mary credit? It was his responsibility to look after her until her death, and she did, and he did until her death there in the city of Ephesus before probably his exile on the Isle of Patmos out there in the Aegean Sea right off the coast of the city of Ephesus. But I think it's summed up maybe best at Christmas time in this song, which we often hear at Christmas time, Mary, did you know? These words are beautiful. Listen to them. Mary, did you know your baby boy would one day walk on water? Did you know your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Oh, Mary, did you know the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the lamb. Did you know your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Did you know your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby boy, you kiss the face of God. <clears throat> the Roman Catholics have what's called the rosary. Let me read it for you here. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Folks, I don't see anything wrong with that. 
That's right out of the New Testament text. That's precisely the way she is described. She is elevated. So uh, it says, uh, put your prayer request now and in the hour of your death. Make your prayer request of Mary. Mary, will you pray for us? Personally, I don't really have a problem with that, asking Mary to pray for us. I think Jesus is our intercessor. I'm going to ask Jesus to plead my case, but I, I see no harm in asking Mary. And then we have another element. <clears throat> I brought mine with us, and there he is. I put this <clears throat> over one of our nativity scenes. We have several, but I put this over one of them to remind us and to remind anyone who looks at it of John's narrative that we have of the dragon. <clears throat> There's the dragon. This artist has captured it, Revelation 12, 15. Here's another artist's portrayal of the dragon with the pregnant Mary. Whoops, another here of the pregnant Mary about to be consumed before she delivers the lamb. Fire, fire-eating dragon. My, my granddaughters have introduced this uh, How to Train a Dragon series. So I've been watching How to Train a Dragon uh, with these, and, and it's a chance for me to teach my granddaughters a little bit about the Christmas narrative. Here again, an artist has portrayed this voracious, scary-looking creature. And then we have... Something else that occurs in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> well, that dragon lost round one in the war. But he returned again as Herod the Great, intent on devouring the children. And Bethlehem suffered terribly. He attacked with a vengeance for 30 days and nights in the wilderness of Judea, our master. He hit hard that night in Gethsemane when Jesus sweat great tears. He visited as religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, and then Judas. He came in many forms, and then he came in a bloodthirsty crowd crying for his crucifixion. He looked victorious at Calvary. He looked like he had won, hearing the dying cry of Jesus, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Tetelestai, it is finished. Looked like he'd won, didn't it? On the contrary, Mr. Dragon, where were you Easter Sunday morning? Tell me, Mr. Dragon, where were you during the 40 days our resurrected Lord was with his followers teaching them concerning the kingdom of God. Where were you then? Where were you when Jesus was welcomed through the door of paradise 
into the kingdom, eternal, coronated, and seated at the right hand of God the Father. Where were you? Plan A was defeat. So Satan goes back on plan B. And here is plan B, his plan for you and me. He disguises himself. He lurks. He's an ever-present enemy lurking about seeking to devour us. He disguises himself in our doubts, our fears, our worries, our anxieties, our false teaching, our pain. He disguises himself in our suffering, in our loss, our disappointments, our poisonous thoughts, and a thousand, thousand diversions. He lurks at the door of the church, waiting, looking for a weakness, looking for an opportunity to get in and to divide and to conquer. He's with us today. That dragon had seven heads indicating his wisdom, ten horns indicating his power, seven diadems indicating his authority. But then we're introduced to Mary's little lamb, Jesus. John says, but worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive wisdom and wealth and strength and honor and glory and praise. There is a war, a cosmic battle, a spiritual war between good and evil. And contrary to most of the religions of the world, it is not a dualism. It is not a flip of the coin where good and evil have equal chances of outcome. No, the outcome has been determined already. Jesus wins. He comes out of the tomb and he defeats Satan. He condemns him. He sentences him. He damns him for eternity into a lake of fire. No water in that lake. Imagine in your minds a lake of fire. That's where he goes. And the little lamb. Well, he attacks seven ways. I have a list here of the ways he attacks the church. Conflict. Burnout. Slander. Lies. Business. Looks for an opportunity to get the treasure of churches. I've seen that happen. Rumors. But most fearfully, I think, the marriage and the family. That's one of his biggest targets. So be aware. And so Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, get ready for the dragon. Put on the whole armor of God the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and the sword. The sword. That little lamb that Mary had grew up and drove a sword through the dragon. Pick a team. Don't be stupid. Now, if you think that's heavy, let's have a children's program (laughs) that maybe will be a little lighter. But some thoughts for you to bring at Christmas time.
Thanks, Charles.